journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavuot Tov and welcome everybody to another episode of Mystic Texts. I'm Adol Kazilski. I'm so excited to be with you. Um, today in going through the Bible, as everybody knows, we are learning the book of Genesis and we're about to finish off the dramatic story of uh, the blessings that Yaakov gets, gets instead of his uh, brother Asaph. And if you're wanting to follow in, you can. It's chapter 27 and we are going to be starting now. I think it is, yep, on verse 35, where we left off last week um, and in the last podcast, which, by the way, if you'd like to follow the podcast, you can go to highfm.com, go to podcasts, and you can hear previous shows. Also, if you would like to comment or you'd have a question, you can SMS on 34519 or 061-895-1019. Now, where were we um, was that... Esav walked in while Yaakov walked out. Yaakov walked out through one door. Esav walked in through another door. And then his father acts all um, strange and says, who are you? Uh, I just ate from from from, from uh, the delicacies that were given to me. I've given all the blessings. And we have a heart-rendering plea from Esav. Father, Father, do you not have any other blessing for me. And um, when Yaakov basically tells him, I've, bas- I've given your brother everything, the, la- the verse preceding the one we're going to start, it says that when Asaph heard those words, he let out the most tremendously loud and bitter scream, and he said to his father, Barcheni gam ani avi, please, father, bless me too. So, um, we're now going to pick up on verse 35, and in fact, Asaph does get a blessing. It's a blessing contingent on the behavior of the Jewish people. And it reads as follows. You, you can look in if you're, if you're following with a, a Bible. So again, chapter 27, verse 35, Vayomer. So Isaac said to him, Ba'achicha b'mirma, your brother, Sorry, I apologize. I'm actually on the wrong, the wrong verse. Apologies, apologies. Um, it's 39, verse 39. I was just thinking, we already said that. Vayan Yitzchak, Yitzchak Aviv, his father, replies to him, Vayomer Elav, and he says to him the following. Hine, behold, the abundance of the earth will be your dwelling. Umital hashamayim mimaal, and the heavens dew from above. The al charbacha tichye, by your sword you shall live. The et achicha taavod, and you will serve your brother. The hayaka asher tarid, and when you have cause to complain, ufarakta ol alo me'al tavarecha, you will be able to throw off his yoke from off your neck. What is this all saying, very interestingly, is that you, Asab, are going to be getting blessings 
to have physical abundance, you are going to have from the abundance of the earth, and from the dew of the heaven. However, it's contingent on the sword. You are going to be a man of the sword. And the only time you are going to be able to complain, the only time you are going to be able to have dominion over your brother and throw the yoke off is when um, your brother will not be behaving. Meaning that Asav will be a very, very strong dominant force in this world, which is true, which we could see up to today. Um, as you know, the, the descendants of Asav were Edom. Edom is the Christi- Christian world. Edom was initially the Roman Empire. So you had the Roman Empire. It then filtered through, um, through the, the, the channels of Christianity to the English Empire, to the British Empire. And it now resides in the United States of America, primarily. Europe as well is part of this, but primarily. So you can see that Europe, America, that whole area um, run by the Christian world has always had a dominating effect on this world. But they live through the sword. And the only time that they can and they did wreak havoc on the Jewish people was when your brother's descendants disobey God's commandments. When the Jewish people threw off the yoke of heaven, threw off and chose to assimilate, then Asab and his descendants were no longer under his yoke, uh, meaning that if Yaakov's children became wicked, then Asab would have cause to complain and um, you would be able to persecute them. Well, if this is not a biblical prophecy that has certainly held true, then what is? We can see from time, immemorial from the time that the Jews were expelled out of the land of Israel with the Romans and the destruction of the second temple all the way to today, we have suffered at the hands of Asav, the Spanish Inquisition, um, and then <clears throat> further on all the times were through the Crusades, and, um, well, the Crusades were a little bit before. They were in the 1100s, the Spanish Inquisition. Then we had all the pogroms and destruction in Europe that culminated in uh, the Holocaust, etc., etc. So we see that we basically play a pendulum with Asav. Since Asav is a brother and since he got this blessing, when Jews are proud to be Jews, when Jews are connected to Torah and mitzvahs, when Jews are fulfilling their part of the bargain, then Asav will be subservient to the Jews, not in a slave-like mentality, but will assist the Jews and help the Jews in their task. If the Jews, however, turn and do not um, hold on to God and his Torah and his mitzvahs, then the sword shall be on us. So by your sword you shall live is the blessing that Asab gets. There's also another very interesting thing is when it says that um, I'm going to give you, he named me Mishmane Haaretz Yeh Moshavecha, 
that the abundance of the earth will be your dwelling, we have a question on that. And that is, is that did God not give all of that to Yaakov? If you go back to the blessings of Yaakov, Yitzhak went and said to him that um, you will have that I'm giving you, sorry, it's the other way around, he basically gave Yitzchak all that was under this earth. So how can he promise now something else to Asav? How can he give him something? Is he retracting? What is happening here? Well, you're going to have to wait till after the break. But just before we go to a commercial break. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. So just before the break, we were discussing what kind of blessing did Asav really get in Mishmanei Haaretz, in the abundance of the earth. If God gave all of that to Asav, how did he now give it, sorry, to Yaakov, how did he now give it to Asab? Well, firstly, what is or can we quantify or qualify what Mishmane Haaretz is? The Midrash comes and tells us that it is the Italian peninsula. Others tell us that it is the, it's Greece. Now, I think the Italian peninsula and Greece are very much connected together. And that makes a lot of sense because Asaph's descendants were the Romans. Where did the Romans come from? Well, no other place other than Italy. So how did they get the Italian peninsula if Yaakov was promised all the fat of the land? Well, there's a very, very interesting story behind it. If you go look in the book of Kings, which is part of the Tanakh, Kings 1, there's a Kings 1 and Kings 2, so the first book, and you look at chapter 3, verse 1, you will see there that King Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter. And what happened was, um, we are told, that an angel planted a reed in the Mediterranean Sea, and mud and sand gradually accumulated around this reed, and it eventually built up the Italian Peninsula, and that landed up becoming Asab's inheritance. Quite fascinating, meaning that when Yitzchak gave Yaakov the blessing that you will have me haaretz, the abundance of the earth, he he was giving him everything. Okay, what he didn't give him was the Italian peninsula. And the reason why he didn't give him the Italian peninsula was because the Italian peninsula did not exist. It only came into the existence um, many hundreds of years later when King Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter. So therefore, he was given Italy, which did not exist in the time of Yaakov. Quite a fascinating piece of information. And the other thing that I want to bring to your attention is that on the words, you shall live by the sword. Um, interestingly, we are told again in the Midrash that Yaakov owned a sword that had belonged to Adam. And amongst the things that Yaakov had given Asab 
when he sold his birthright was this sword. So Yitzchak therefore told him that he would not be able to live except through the sword, since he had lost everything because of it. And so here we have it, folks. We have the dynamic that has been driving history since day um, immemorial, all the way back down to the time of Yitzchak, of Esav and Yaakov. Their destinies were written down in the Bible and today. And looking in hindsight or throughout history, we have seen this dynamic that when the Jews are strong, when they are committed to God with Torah and mitzvahs, then Esav um, becomes subservient, means it, he becomes a catalyst to allow us to fulfill our function better. But if we don't and we turn around and we choose to assimilate, we choose to turn our back on God, it's then that he does physically live with the sword and we have felt his wrath through the crusaders, through the expulsion of, of uh, uh, rather, let's start, through the expulsion um, going into exile with the destruction of the second Beta Mikdash, through the crusaders, through this, the, this, uh, the Span- Spanish Inquisition and expulsion, through the Khmelniki pogroms and everything that happened um, and in warfare in Europe and that Kaltamate, Kaltamate, listen to me today, um, landed up at the end with the Holocaust. And then we're, we're here today. And today we see that the United States in particular um, together with some countries in Europe, not all of them, um, were friends, are friends of the people. And really this is, again, a discussion of just looking at from a biblical perspective what Trump did for the Jewish people in the four years that he was in power. This is very much a an example of what Yitzhak was telling Asaph that you will be um, a a servant to your brother. Not a servant that Israel now, you know, was treating the United States with disdain, not at all. But that Trump empowered the Jewish people to live as the Jewish people. He recognized Israel as, its, uh, um, as, as, as a legitimate country. He recognized Jerusalem as its capital. He recognized the Golan. He rec- and he was about to recognize the West Bank. He also started making peace and showing people that, in fact, there is nothing to have against the Jewish people and that we should all live in peace. And so uh, Trump being an example of the um, descendants of Esau played the cards correctly. Ah, you can ask me what happened now. I don't know. I believe that Hashem has got something big up his sleeve and that we need just to wait out the time and see what is happening. I personally believe that um, there is kind of like the story of uh, Purim where, 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 where Haman thought that he, he rose and he rose and that he was, you know, um, at the top of the government and on, on top of everything and in a far swoop. He is brought down to his knees um, and never to arise again. And I've, I would like to think, without the harm of any human being and any nation in this world, 
that right now we are in the throes of the final battle between good and evil and that we are going to see the dissolution and of anything that is evil, any corruption, any negativity, any um, underhandedness, we are going to see um, that destruction um, happen speedily. Uh, and, and, and now is a really, really good time, just by the way. We're in the month of Adar, which is a month of Simcha, a month where we should um, break open and see the positivity, and we are then entering, please God, next week into uh, the month of uh, Nisan, which is a month of redemption. So I'm certainly um, hoping and, and, and holding firm that we are going to see this dissolution because the last couple of years we actually have seen the biblical uh, blessing of um, Asaph befriending Yaakov. And so he should. He is our brother. He is our he, he was supposed to be one of the forefathers of the Jewish people, of him coming and being a channel, being a conduit to allow the Jewish people to do what they have to do. Actually, quite unbelievably fascinating. And as always, if you've got a comment, you can agree, you can disagree. Um, I'm not shy to, to, uh, to, to hear any disagreement if, if need be. Um, you can send an SMS to 34519 or you can send a telegram uh, message on 061-891-1019. Right, let's continue then with uh, where we're at. Um, we are now on verse 41. Well, initially, initially, um, Esau did not take this down, lying down and didn't go, oh, well, thanks, Pops, that's great. What is the story there? We are told, "Vayishtov Esav es Yaakov al habracha asher berachacho aviv." Esav was furious um, at Yaakov because of the blessing which his father had given him. "Vayomer Esav beliboy," and so Esav said in his heart, "Yikrevu yemei evel avi." The days of mourning, my father, are approaching. Ve'aharga et Yaakov achi, and I will then kill Yaakov. So, what was Esav really, really saying? He was saying, "My father's already old, and why should I even bother mourning him? Let the days of mourning for my father come already." So what he was doing is he was planning, let either Yitzchok die, and you'll see there's other opinions that he actually planned the demise of, 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 of Yitzchok. And then, um, you know, I will get and put things in my own hand. What made him think like this? Because he says, if I kill Yaakov now, shame and ever will judge me, and they will put me to death. And I also have a precedent. I don't want to be stupid like Cain. Remember Cain? Cain killed his brother Abel. What did he accomplish? Nothing, because his father was still alive, and then Adam had another son. So in his heart, this is what he's thinking. I know better. I will wait until my father dies. He's old, right? He told me to come for a blessing because he says he doesn't know how many days are left. I will wait till my father dies. Then what will I do? I will kill Yaakov 
And then what will happen? I will inherit everything. So this is one explanation. The other is that an alternative plan that the Midrash brings is that Asaph um, was to marry one of Yishmael's daughters. Okay? And then he figured, you know what? Yishmael hates Yitzchak. Remember? Let's go back in time. Yishmael was banished away from the house of Abraham and Sarah because Yitzchak inherited the next part of the inheritance from Abraham. And now Yitzchak's giving it to Yaakov. So he knows that Yishmael resents Yitzchak. So he'll marry one of the daughters of Yishmael and he will go and tell then his father-in-law, do me a favor, okay, go kill uh, Yitzchak and then when you've done that, I will kill Yaakov. But in that also, he will also land up going and killing Yishmael. So you know what? For Asaph, he thought he had worked it all out. He would land up being able to absolutely inherit everything. And we're told that he, that the Midras is in another opinion that he actually approached Ishmael and said to him, why don't you go kill your old rival Yitzchak because then I will murder Yaakov. And you know what? Between us, we'll be able to divide up the world. Now, you can ask yourself, how's this guy acting? He's, he's obviously unbelievably furious. He's, he's, he's unbelievably mad at, 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 at what's going on. And, if you watch in between that, you will see that between all these machinations and trying to work out who to kill who, he doesn't want to kill his father, uh, Yisok. Why? Because he was very careful to honor his father. But you would then go and argue, well, if you honored his father, then surely he would not, he would know that part of honoring your father is to honor your father's wishes. And if he gave the, blessings um, in a different way. You should honor your father and respect what he wants. Why are you now wanting to go start working out how to kill everybody? And the answer is that um, he only really honored his father until he blessed Yaakov. After that, he showed complete disrespect and complete disdain for his father. So that's what's going on in the heart of Asab. Let's look at verse 42 of chapter 27. The words of her older son Asab was reported to Rivka. Well, who reported it? If you go and look at the verse before, it says what? Asab said this in his heart. This was Asab thinking in his mind what it is we should do. So how did these things get told to Rivka? And we are, we are elucidated and told that they were revealed to Rivka by divine inspiration. So Rivka understood this through prophecy, through divine inspiration. She understood that Asaph was wanting to kill um, Yaakov. So she calls her younger son, uh, Yaakov, and she says to him, Hine Esav Achicha Mitnachem Lacha Lacharkecha. 
Behold, your your brother is consoling himself um, from in, in his anger, and what is going to happen? He is planning to kill you. Asaph essentially was rejecting Jacob as a brother, and he is going to now murder you without any compunction whatsoever. In fact, as far as he is concerned, you are already dead. And where does she work? How does she say that? She says it through the words, Esav achicha mit nachem lecha. He's consoling himself, meaning he's already drunk. You know, when 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 you go and console a a mourner, the word um, to console comes from this word mit nachem to console. So he's consoling himself, meaning that he's already drinking from the mourner's cup. He is. You're, you're as good as dead. Klar, finished. What is the suggestion? So she says, And now my son, Listen to my voice. Get up. Flee for yourself. Go to Lavan, my brother, in Haran. The circle is closing again. Rivka came from Haran. Lavan was her brother. Betuel was her father. Okay, and remember, Lavan is a good for nothing. Nevertheless, she is saying that he should go to Lavan, back to Choron. You need to stay with him for a while. Ad asher tashuv chamat achicha. Until your brother's anger has subsided. Ad shuv once your until your brother's rage towards you has calmed down, et asher asitalo, and he forgets what you have done to him, misham, I will send a message to you, a messenger to you, to summon you from there, Lama Eshkal Yomechad. Why should I lose both of you on the same day? Essentially, she says, run away, go stay with Uncle Lavan, wait until uh, Asaph's um, anger has subsided and he's forgotten, and then I will send for you and you will come back. But as we know, when we're learning uh, the verses of Torah, not everything is the way it seems. What is Rivka really, really telling her? Um, tell, telling him, rather, telling Yaakov, you're going to have to hang on while we go for a break, and afterwards we'll explain that to you. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, welcome back. So, what is, what was, rather, Rivka telling um, uh, Yaakov? He basically was saying, look, if you remain here with us, you're likely to be killed. And then what is going to happen uh, with Asaph? He will lose both worlds, just like Cain did after he killed um, Abel, right? For the rest of their lives, Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve never saw him again. That's number one. She's not looking to lose her son Asaph. She does not want to give him the, the position, the ability to go and destroy himself. And furthermore, he says, she says to him, although you are strong enough to kill him, Remember, Yaakov was spiritually unbelievably strong. Okay, his children will avenge his death. 
And then I will lose both of you on the same day. You're going to leave and he's going to die. So I don't want that I lose both sons on the same day. You go elsewhere. Let sleeping dogs lie. Let everybody relax. And then when it's safe, I shall call you back. Now, there's a powerful lesson in this in that this comes to teach us how far a person must go to avoid making enemies. Even when one has an enemy, one should go out of his way to make up with him or else flee from the place just as Yaakov did. We are not warmongers. We are not out to make war um, as our first call. It is only a port of call once we have exhausted all the other options that we have. And truthfully, Rivka's words become prophetic as well because Yaakov flees. He doesn't go directly to uh, Laban. He spends seven years in the yeshiva of Shemba Eber, and then he goes off to Laban. We know, and we'll be following that story as we move through the chapters in the Bible. He marries uh, Leah. He marries Rachel. He also um, has children with their two concubines. He builds up an entire family, wealth, etc., etc. And when it is ready for him to leave, and to go back to Israel, he does encounter his brother Esav again. But ironically, or maybe I should rather say prophetically, Esav initially comes with this desire to kill him, but is quickly changed, and he actually tries to make a, make a pact with, Yitz, uh, with Yaakov in saying, you know, let us be brothers again. Um, uh, my anger has subsided. Let's go back to the land of Israel together and let's live in peace. And if you are following the verses of the Bible, you will know that Yaakov says to Esau, my children are young, my family is weak, there is way too many of us, you're much stronger, you go on, you go back, and I will meet you there. I will catch up to you. And whilst that would have and did happen in terms of Yaakov eventually getting back to the land of Israel. Um, this is read much, much more from a prophetic point of view um, in so far as what Yaakov was really saying to Esau. Well, now the Jewish people have got a lot to do in Galut, in the diaspora, in, in, in where they're going to find themselves. Um, we're not ready now for the Geula. We're not ready for the redemption. So you go ahead and wait for us. My family is young. The Jewish nation is young. The Jewish nation has got a lot to do uh, through the centuries in the various parts of this world. And when we get back to the land of Israel, we will meet you there. And this is really, again, coming back to this point in time in history of where we are at we are back in the land of Israel. It's a fact. It's a fact. Yes, there are many, many arguments about how the land of Israel should be run and, and who should be in charge. And have we made mistakes in receiving the land? Yes, we are. We have because the land of Israel in its entirety, or I should rather say the state of Israel, the government of Israel in its entirety is not completely driven by Torah values. And there is a lot of dissension amongst uh, um, the government and the way to uh, run the land of Israel. Um, 
if we are to look back biblically, we need to understand that from a biblical point of view, Israel can only flourish, Israel can only remain strong, and Israel can only be 100% successful if it's run according to the dictates of the Torah and those politicians that appreciate that uh, side of the story. If we are going to see dissension and we are going to see people who think contrary to that, we are going to ourselves suffer difficulty, suffer uh, invasion into the land, suffer terrorism, suffer a whole lot of stuff. Because, again, what we are doing is we are trying to turn our back on God. This is so unbelievably fundamental, both for ourselves as individuals and as a nation. We have a job. We have a responsibility. We have an obligation. And that obligation is towards God. It's towards uh, keeping Torah and mitzvahs. And particularly and most importantly when it comes to the land of Israel, that we run the country according to the dictates of the Torah and not to any whatever democracy we feel like with whatever rules and regulations we feel need to be done. But having said that, if you look from a macrocosmic level, we do have the land of Israel back in our hands, something that is unbelievably miraculous because if you look back at biblical prophecy – and you'll see that we've been that, that that we are to be scattered and to live by the sword of Asab, who made our lives a misery in 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 the diaspora in Galut. You will see that for centuries Jews were praying Lashana Habab Yerushalayim next year in Jerusalem, and um, without it ever them ever believing that um, they would see it in their lifetime. But we have, we see it in our lifetime. I've got to tell you that I've got a, a, a set of books of um, little pamphlets that were put out in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. It's called Talks and Tales, and it was a monthly pamphlet that was put out in the United States. Um, and it was it was kind of like, you know, our, the correspondence of the time. Learn something about the Jewish month, learn something about the holiday that's coming up, a few Jewish facts, etc., etc. And uh, at one point in time, you know, the stories and the information in there was so valuable that uh, they they collated it all and they made up 13 or 14 volumes of all the Talks and Tales publications from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And it's, one, it's a custom in our family that uh, on Shabbat, We'll just randomly pull out any of those books, open it up um, to to a relevant month, and we will we will listen to a story or hear an interesting idea that it shares. And I found it so interesting that one time I opened up the book. It was the month of Tammuz. Um, it's a month that's that opens up with Yud Zayin Tammuz with the morning on Tammuz, and um, you know then culminating three weeks later with the destruction of the temple. And uh, what was the story there? It was the story from the 1950s about Jerusalem. And they said, we're still in Galut. We are still in exile. And we still do not have our beloved Jerusalem and the wall that we can pray to. And we hope and we pray that someday um, in our lifetime, we will see the reunification of Jerusalem, the ancient Jerusalem, to be part of the rest of the land of Israel. And I thought to myself, how many of us really, really appreciate the fact that that actually came true from 1967? We now travel to Israel 
um, we roam the place, we see how unbelievably successful um, and how out of the desert um, everything has bloomed. Okay, and when we want to go to the Kotel, we just, you know, take bus number one or to ask the taxi to take us there. No sweat. But hey, guys, we didn't have this for two and a half thousand years. And that was um, Yaakov's message to Asaph. You go ahead. There's lots that we have to do in Galut, but we'll meet you there at the end of times. Folks, it's the end of times. Let's go for a bit of a break. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. We have one more um, verse to finish off the chapter. So let's do that. Vatomer Rivka El Yitzchok. So now Rivka wants to try and get Asab to go to Lavan. So what does she do as the, the neck of the family? Yitzchok's the head. She goes and tells Yitzchok. I am disgusted with the life because of the Hittite woman. What if now, you know, Yaakov needs to marry and he's going to marry a Hittite girl, like those that are native of the land, why should I go on living? What does she really say? Well, if you look at the word katsti, if anybody's looking inside, you will see it has a small kuf. And the numerical value of the, of the, of the letter kuf is 100. So basically what they were saying is, what she was saying was actually giving a prophecy that down the line, Jews actually intermarried with the Hittites and other Gentiles, and that caused the destruction of the Holy Temple which was 100 cubits high. But going back practically to this question, what Rivka, um, Rivka was immersed in thought, right? And she said, if I ask Yitzchak and tell him to tell Yaakov to flee, he'll be furious with me for causing hatred between the two sons. And also, on top of that, now he's ill. I don't want to upset him. If I tell Yaakov to run away without informing him, without informing Yitzchak, Yitzchak will suffer terribly. And he will then go and try seek Yaakov, and he won't be able to find him. And Yaakov will not be very successful on his journey. Why? Because he'll be acting disrespectfully towards his father without going, with going without leave. So that in and of itself will give Asa the upper hand and will allow him to kill Yaakov. So she decided to bring up the question of Yaakov's marriage to Yitzchak, and what will transpire, and that we'll see from next week, is if Yitzchak will tell Yaakov to leave and seek a wife, and then two things would be accomplished at once. She'll be able to save the life of, a- of, of, of Yaakov. She'll be able to maintain still Esav around, and everything will turn out hunky-dory, or so she thinks. So that's where we're going to leave it today. Thank you for joining me. And uh, I'll be back, same time, same place, next week. And we will see now the, the next instructions that Yitzchak gives to his son, Yaakov. Until then, have a fabulous week, week ahead and see you next week.